Steelers, start your engines! Welcome to the one place everybody wants to be. Victory Lane, your source for news, analysis, discussion, interviews, and more from the world of NASCAR. Now, here's your host, Davey Siegel. Welcome to the place everybody wants to be. You know it. You love it. It, of course, is Victory Lane. Uh, thankfully, we now have an update and some good news about Ryan Newman's condition after the insane final lap wreck that occurred at the Daytona 500. I'm going to kind of tell you guys about my vantage point for that, the events that transpired for Newman, and then kind of from a media perspective, what I was doing. We'll also get to Denny Hamlin's victory, which was a, a pretty historic one, to be honest, and quickly preview this weekend's race in Las Vegas. So before I get to how we usually start all these episodes since I brought up Las Vegas, I'm in Las Vegas right now. I am uh, currently sitting in the Las Vegas McCarran International Airport at baggage claim. My phone, I was on a Southwest flight. I thought that there were going to be power outlets underneath or behind the seats, so I was going to be able to charge my phone on the flight. There was not. I was at 28% when we boarded, so I literally just stared out the window for five, five hours and 20 minutes or whatever it was. I listened to a bunch of podcasts. I went pee a couple times. I had a very entertaining flight attendant, so that was pleasant, and I saved enough battery to find a secluded area of baggage claim, so that's the ambient noise you'll be hearing, uh, where there's some sort of outlets. I'm currently staring at my phone that's charging. That's about like, I don't know, 20 feet away from me. And I'm sitting on a bench and my computer cord, because my computer's so messed up that it literally does not function unless it's plugged in and charging. So as you can tell, uh, this is my fire fest of the week. Third world problems, what have you. So now that there's, I'm just doing a little double check, there's nobody in the vicinity, I can give this a good old That wasn't as intense as I usually do it, but I don't think anybody stared at me. But then again, I mean, those of you listening, you know me. I don't really care if people would stare at me when I'm doing a reggaeton in the airport. I digress. Let's get right into it, people. Wrapping up Daytona, Ryan Newman's horrific crash, and Denny Hamlin's victory. As I said, we'll kind of get to Denny and the significance of his win, and we'll hear from him too. But first, I want to talk about Newman. And thankfully, as we're recording this, we have some really, really promising, improving, good news about his condition. But when I was prepping for the show, I mean, we didn't know much, and it wasn't looking good. So let's just go back to where it all kind of began. It's the last stop of the Daytona 500. Ryan Blaney is pushing Ryan Newman past Denny Hamlin on the backstretch. Newman is... You know, 150, 200 yards from winning the Daytona 500. His second of his career would be 12 years removed from when he won it in 2008. Ryan Blaney goes low to try to pass Newman. Newman six hits the outside retaining wall, goes airborne. And you guys have obviously seen the video by now. It's still kind of gives me chills to watch it. Knowing that he's okay now makes it a little bit better, but... Just watching it over and over that night and, and, and the days that followed was just bone-chilling. But, I mean, you saw Corey LaJoy just had 
absolutely nowhere to go. He just rammed right into the six car of Ryan Newman. Unfortunately, right into the driver's side as that's what was exposed once he flipped upside down and he was just kind of sliding and he was a passenger at that point. And the driver's side was, was right there. LaJoy plowed right into him. He flipped through the air more and he went to a went to a sliding stop at the exit of pit road. Fuel was pouring out. So here's kind of like where I'll give you my perspective on things. So I'm standing at pit stall 27, never going to forget where I was, when I saw the crash. And I was watching on the ISM vision screen that Denny got passed on the back stretch. And actually, the, the cheers that I heard on the front stretch when Newman passed him, that was like nothing I've ever heard before. And I'm not just saying that to be cliche. Like, I, that place erupted. Imagine if it was on a Sunday and not a Monday. Um, so I, I started getting on my phone because I was going to record the finish because I had a feeling that somebody was going to make a move, and this is going to be a really, really good finish, a finish for the ages, and that's what it was, the second closest finish in Daytona 500 history. So I start recording, and I tweeted the video out. Um, I, I chose not to take it down because, obviously, I posted it before I knew kind of the severity of it. But I posted it, and I just captioned it, holy you-know-what. Um, and in the video, you can see the one that I captured – I was focused more on the finish, and for my peripheral vision when I was recording it, I saw somebody hit the wall. I was like, oh, damn, Newman in the wall. And then I zoomed in a little bit on the finish, and then I saw, not in the camera shot, but out of my eyes, my peripheries, I saw like a fireball. I was just like, whoa, oh, damn. And then he kind of went out of sight, so I turned my back to the ISM vision screen, and I saw him sliding. I was like, oh, man, damn, what a hit. Oh, man, he'll be fine. And that's, that's, I think, is what everybody else pretty much said. I just got a thumbs up from some random stranger telling me to keep up the good work. So that's what I'll do. So I was like, all right, damn, like, he'll be fine. And then I see the fuel start pouring out. And I'm screaming. I'm so put the fire out, put the fire out, put the fire out. Because the fuel wasn't on fire, but there was a fire that was going on with the wreckage. And the fuel was pouring out. So they got the fire out. And then I'm saying, okay, okay, get him out, get him out, get him out. Because, like, I mean, you guys saw this was a freaking nasty wreck. Like, we've seen nasty wrecks before, and drivers walk away unscathed. So, and that's what I'll get to in a little bit. I, I mean, I thought he was fine. I, I've, let's get to it right now. I, have, I grew up in an era, and I have grown up in an era, and I am in an era where driver safety is paramount. Safety in the sport of NASCAR you could say auto racing, but I think NASCAR has been at the forefront of it. Safety comes before anything and everything. It comes before on-track competition. It comes before marketing. It comes before everything that goes into making the sport of NASCAR run on a weekly basis. It didn't for a point, but after the events that transpired in 2001, that was their wake-up call. Safer barriers were developed. Hans devices were implemented more strictly. Carbon fiber was put into the cars in due time. The seat belts were uh, changed and designed differently. The whole makeup and manufacturement of the race cars was changed after that day in 2001. So I, I literally have never thought to myself when I see a crazy wreck, my entire life of watching NASCAR, I never thought, oh, man, he's probably hurt. I've always thought, wow, crazy wreck. Damn, he'll be all right. And that, that's what I thought with Newman. 
And then even so, when they were kind of taking their time to turn the car over, I thought that they were just being being cautious and taking precautionary measures. So what I did was my scanner had died at this point, so I couldn't scan the six radio. And I was asking other media members in the bullpen. I was saying, hey, what are they saying? What are they saying? And we found out that nothing was being said. So we went to the infield care center where Newman was going to presumably come. And then as I was walking there, I, I checked Twitter and I saw that Fox reported that he was being taken directly to Halifax Medical Center straight to the hospital. So that's when I kind of had the first kind of sinking pit in my stomach. And I was like, all right, this is not good. Really not good. And this is when I realized he was hurt and it was bad. So then, um, you know, we just kind of sat in the media center. I debated kind of going to the, the hospital, but I figured at that point it was kind of a lost cause because the traffic getting out of the track was insane. And we didn't know, you know, if he was going to, if we were going to get an update on his status soon or anything. So I just kind of sat in the media center, um, idle, shocked as a lot of people were there for a couple hours, but what felt like an eternity. And, um, you know, there wasn't really that much being done by anybody. The mood was just very tense. It was very eerie. And we, to take a kind of a peek behind the curtain, Tom Bryan, who's a great dude, took three of the microphones on the podium off and replaced it with one. And somebody kind of asked what was going on, and he said O'Donnell. So we knew that Steve O'Donnell... NASCAR vice president. Um, I think that's his title, right? Yeah. We knew that he was going to come in and give us an update, give everybody an update on what was going on. So here's what he told us. He's been transported to Halifax Medical Center, uh, undergoing further treatment and evaluation. Uh, we've been in continual dialogue with the race team and Ryan's family. And on behalf of Roush Racing, they've asked us to read a statement uh, to give you an update. And, and the statement reads as follows. Ryan Newman is being treated at Halifax Medical Center. He's in serious condition, but doctors have indicated his injuries are non-life-threatening. We appreciate your thoughts and prayers and ask that you respect the privacy of Ryan and his family during this time. We appreciate your patience and cooperation and will provide more information as it becomes available. That's the end of the statement. And then certainly on our behalf, we're going to continue to work with the race team and Ryan's family uh, to support them in any way we can. Um, we'd ask that you respect their privacy, um, and going forward, we'll provide updates as we can. But at this time, our thoughts are with Ryan and his family. Thank you. I was shaking. I was shaking in my boots. Seriously, when he was walking in. I mean, up until that point, there was a lot of people in the media center that were pretty shook. But I, I was fine. I was kind of not really that affected. I thought I would be more affected. But when Steve O'Donnell came in, it just kind of gave me reminders and flashbacks of the footage that I've seen of Mike Helton coming in in 01 saying that we've lost Dale Earnhardt. And for a second, I mean, I I really did think that there was a possibility that they would give us the worst news possible, that we lost Ryan Newman. But as you heard there, serious condition, non-life-threatening injuries. So that was just an, an unbelievable sigh of relief for that point in time, at least. Um, so then, you know, what starts going through my head and what starts going through everybody's head is what needs to be done, if anything? How did this happen? Why did this happen? Why did it happen now? I'll give you my take on it. And, I mean, my take on it is kind of irrelevant in the grand scheme. It's not kind of irrelevant. It is irrelevant in the grand scheme. I am of the belief that this was something that was 
quite literally a freak accident. And I say that because of how the accident happened, you know? It wasn't really um, a normal thing. I mean, what happened was the, the first hit itself was relatively asinine. I mean, we've seen that happen before, and we've seen those kind of collisions. But the second one where Newman's car was compromised, he was upside down, and then Corey LaJoy just comes in and just absolutely rams right into the driver's side. That, that was the part that really got me and why, why I think it's a freak deal because you don't see that happen a lot. And that's what we saw. And that's why I think that this was one of those things that was a freak accident. And I don't I, I personally don't think that there needs to be a lot done, if anything. I mean, are changes gonna happen because of this? Probably. Are they gonna be huge? I doubt it. But I'm interested to find out why the car flipped how it did and if there was any way of preventing that and then what his injuries were. Um but then we also got an update from Rash Fenway Racing on Wednesday afternoon, uh, which was some great news. And before I get to that, I also want to give you a peek behind the curtain here because, as you probably noticed, there's a little bit of a different tone or maybe less background noise. So here's what happened. I um, My recorder died two times when I was recording in the Las Vegas airport at Baggage Claim. Then I went out on the Vegas Strip with my boy Chad, and I just went to the Las Vegas Motor Speedway gift shop purchase some batteries, I'm sitting in the credential parking lot waiting for the office to open, and now I'm recording it. And now I'm also wearing a jacket, and I'm very hot, so I'm going to crack a crack a door open here. Ambient noise. Uh, well, now the stupid ding, ding, ding's going off. So this is what I'm going to do, all right? The door is closed. Now I'm going to start the car. Maybe you heard that. I don't know. And now I'm going to roll down the window. And then I'm going to turn the car off. Boom. I doubt this will help anything, but there you go. You just heard my entire kind of life and how that's happening. Um, anyway, and I, also my computer's dead because it's messed up, as I said, so I'm reading all this stuff off my phone. I digress. Let's talk about the update that we had on Wednesday afternoon. It was great, great news. Not only was he walking and talking, but he was released from the hospital. With his daughters in hand, he was released, and it was just so relieving and so happy to hear the news. It's just kind of an overall reminder, though, as as I've said, about the dangers associated with this sport, and that should not be lost on people. I would really encourage you guys, if you have an athletic subscription, read everything there. Um, Also, Ryan McGee of ESPN, he penned an article that I think pretty much encapsulates um, everything that everybody was thinking pretty well, so... I would encourage you to read that. So now that we kind of have that elephant in the room out of the way, so to speak, and Ryan Newman is doing well, he is recovering. Ross Chastain is filling in for him this weekend at Las Vegas. Um, We don't know when and if Newman will be back in the car, but he's been posting some pictures his friends and family have. Martin Truex Jr. was with him the other day. I mean, it's, it's just really remarkable and incredible and miraculous, honestly, to see. So I'm really happy about that. But to the race itself... Um, we got to talk about it. It was rained out Sunday. The mood was so hype. I had never had my vibe more killed than I did that night. Like I, I really had not ever had it, I don't think, because there's so much hype. There's so much pomp and circumstance. It's the Daytona 500. Regardless of what you think of the president, the president is there. He is a sitting president at a NASCAR race. The hype is off the charts. The 
uh, in the media, in person, on TV. Like, you literally felt a palpability in the air. And I felt it. And then literally 200 yards from the start-finish line, caution lights come back on. Rain. Air Force One sets off for flight on the backstretch. He leaves. We run 20 laps. Daytona 500 underway. Let's go. Then more rain comes. And then this is where I'm saying, all right, let's look at the radar. How are we doing? What's going on? And then it became more and more clear that this was not going to be run tonight. So I ended up changing my flight because I've been there for 13 days. I was not going to miss the Daytona 500. was not going to happen. Also, there are people that are just, like, pulling up in this parking lot, so they're probably going to, like, look at me and be like, what the hell is this guy doing recording a podcast? But uh, this is what I do for you guys. Um, so it got rained out to Monday, 4 p.m., and we went back green. Pretty solid race. Um, I-, I digged it, you know. It was good. But it was ended up being Denny Hamlin who won the race, as we, as we talked about. Um, and this is a pretty significant win for him because not only is it his third Daytona 500 win, but this is his second consecutive victory. And he becomes the fourth driver to ever win uh, consecutive Daytona 500s. He joins Sterling Marlin, Cale Yarbrough, and Richard Petty. And he's the first one since 1994 when Sterling Marlin did it to go back-to-back. Um, so here Denny was kind of on the strength of his car and being able to push at the end because we saw in the backstretch that he was being able to push really, really well all the time. Yeah, I mean, it's just uh, it's all numbers when, when, when you get somebody pretty close to, in proximity behind you or pushing. Um, you know, it's like once they break that bubble of being connected, it really shoots that lead car out. Um, and, you know, it's just uh, – it's just kind of a product of, of, of the race package that we have, um, but uh, overall, I thought you know the you know the race racing was pretty good, and obviously the closing rate is so drastic uh, with this package that uh, you really got to kind of time your runs out and figure out uh, where you want to be. The people next to me just pulled up and they were distracting me, so that's why I tossed in that audio very uh, strangely. Here's some more Denny on when he got notified about Ryan Newman and how it's kind of just a testament to safety in the cars these days, but I kind of feel for him because he was battling the highs of winning and the lows of not really knowing what a competitor and a friend was going through and the severity of the injuries. Yeah, it is. And I mean, obviously, you know, not finding out anything about, uh, you know, the sixes wreck until uh, essentially Jamie uh, told us, you know, no start finish uh, interview. Um, and so I, I knew it was bad. I knew, you know, him crossing the track there was, was a bad scenario in the first place. But, uh, yeah, it just, um, it, it's a, it's a weird balance of, you know, excitement and happiness for yourself. But obviously, uh, someone's health and their family's, you know, bigger than any win in any, any sport. So, um, you know, we're, we're just hoping for the best. As I said, he's the first back to back winner since 1994 and 95 when Sterling Marlin did it. But I found interesting what he said here. He actually, didn't feel too good going into the day, but I'd say things that worked out pretty well for him at the end of it. Yeah, I mean, the historical side of things, it's just, um, I don't know, I need time to process it. I mean, I i was saying actually at lunch today, I'm like, I just, I don't feel good about today. Just not because of my car or the speed, just, you know, we have, we've managed to get to the finish of these races for a lot of years in a row. And it's like, how have we just kept avoiding 
the inevitable, which is the wrecks. And so, um, you know, really, we, we had a great strategy there at the end of stage one to put us up front um, at the beginning in the stage two. And I was able to kind of maintain a good track position at that point. Um, and, and obviously got shuffled, but uh, it worked out. But, you know, when I think about the names, and, and Chris is always quick to remind me of what a win would do here, you know, where does it put you and, and the names that it puts you with, uh, I I consider those, you know, <laughs> professors of, of racing like this, and, and I'm just a guy that's, you know, a student, and uh, it's it's been great to, to be on the run that we've been on the last five years at this racetrack. Well, more than five it's been you know eight years or so that we've been you know fantastic here uh but I, I don't know i just can't fathom you know being that it's harder to win today than ever because all the cars are so close together and and with the attrition uh the wrecks it's harder to win now than ever uh to to win it again i don't know i you know you have to check in with me next week in las vegas crew chief chris gabehart uh zach Tanzaretti. One of my buddies, he actually asked him this question. It was a good point, you know. This kind of puts him in some rarefied air as becoming not only a crew chief to win two Daytona 500s, but back-to-back at that. And I found his answer pretty revealing here, too, basically saying that um, this was really significant and it was bigger than the first one for him because he didn't really feel like he belonged last year. Uh, well, I told somebody coming up pit road, I'm not going to buy any lottery tickets for the rest of my life. I, I think it's uh, amazing that... It uh, won my second and as many Daytona 500s as a crew chief. But uh, for me personally, um, this one is is honestly way more special for me. Um, the first one, it was my first race as crew chief for uh, the 11 FedEx Camry with Denny. And, you know, you, you just have so many great resources behind you. It's really just riding the wave. I'm trying to figure out, you know, uh, what's going on. And, and I felt like Denny and the team were doing all the work. Uh, to be honest with you, um, I'm, I was very, very lucky uh, to receive it. But 365 days later, after putting together the season that we put together in 2019 as a team, and uh, me being fortunate enough to be asked to lead that team, um, this one is so much more valuable to me because I feel like I've earned this one. Um, I feel like I belong. Uh, I feel like this team is, is capable of, of excellence. And um, this one, this one means a lot more to me personally. And of course, Coach Gibbs uh, wanted to set the record straight on why the 11 team was celebrating while Newman was laying upside down at pit exit. And he kind of articulates and explains the situation as well as you possibly can. When everything happened at the end of the race, I knew that there was a race, but I never even focused over there. I was focusing on our car, and everybody started celebrating it around us so I say to everybody out there some people may have saw us and said well these guys are celebrating when there's a serious issue going on so hopefully I apologize to everybody but we really didn't know we got in the winner's circle and then that's when people told us later on the winner's circle so I wanted to explain that to everyone and it just makes it so hard uh, such a close-knit community you know everybody and this is one thing, kind of like what Denny was saying. If you think about all the wrecks that we've had over the last, I don't know how many number of years, and some of them look, look real serious, uh, we've been so fortunate. So anyway, I just wanted to say and state that for everybody. That's, that's what took place for us. And so now it's, you know, it's, it's hard. We're all waiting. 
I think as far as um, winning this race, I can tell you how hard it is. We, I think we were a stretch of 22 years and didn't win it. Uh, just on our race team, you got Martin, Kyle, been here 15 times, haven't won it. And then to have Denny, uh, you know, in sports, I think sometimes you're not, you're not quite sure why or how when you watch somebody. Uh, they just have a gift. And even last week, that was, that was miraculous for him to get back out there and be able to, you know, down lap and everything. So uh, I think he does. It's one of those things you have to say. This is one of the things as fans, we love to see somebody that's special and has a gift. He's right, though. I mean, as, as we heard, Denny didn't really sound like he was too confident coming into the race because, and I see where he's coming from. You're at the mercy of other people around you. That's the nature of not restrictor plate, but now tapered spacer racing. But Hamlin is so damn good at this. Uh, he is special. He does have a gift. He has a knack for it, and I think he's pretty much realizing that now. Some other storylines, let's run them down. Uh, the top ten after Hamlin was Ryan Blaney, Chris Busher, David Reagan. How about that? Kevin Harvick round out the top five. Um, you had Clint Boyer, sixth. He was not happy with how NASCAR lined him up for the final restart when he spun out. And he thinks that there needs to be more done and there needed to be more done in that specific instance because this is a big, big deal, and that might have cost him the race. It was just, I don't know. I have no idea with all the time we have for replays and everything else. I mean, it's money's on the line there. That was that was my opportunity to win, to be on the outside and forth. And I don't know, just disappointed. Are you really frustrated because went through the grass or because there was so much carnage and it was just another no I, I was mean, frustrated because I felt like I should have been on the outside and uh and not on the inside that was that was a game-winning decision there and or losing decision on our behalf and unfortunately it just didn't transpire how about Brendan gone seventh Corey LaJoy uh eighth place there was a crazy picture of him that he was posted on Instagram and made the rounds on Twitter and that kind of just said what everybody was thinking, and he posted the explanation, but that picture went around. He finished in eighth. Ryan Newman ended up being scored in ninth, and Kyle Larson finished inside the top ten. You had John Hunter Nemechek as the highest finishing rookie in 11th. Austin Dillon, Justin Haley, Michael McDowell, Bubba Wallace rounding out the top 15. Uh, Brendan Poole, 16th. Chase Elliott. And you had Ricky Stenhouse Jr., who finished in 20th. He had a day. <laughs> To say the least, he started on the pole, he led a bunch of laps, he spun William Byron out just right off the nose of his number 47 car, and then he got spun coming to pit road by Eric Jones, which kind of did his day in because he also had a penalty for passing below the yellow line. So when you talk about leading the race, starting on the pole, causing a caution, being a caution, and getting penalized, Ricky Stenhouse Jr. pretty much did everything under the sun. I went low to not crash him um, and got called for a blowy yellow line. So I don't know. That's the second one I've gotten called for uh, when I felt like it's either crash the field or um, go below the line. So um, I felt like I was blocked uh, to go down there. Um, you know, when you're going 200, your momentum just carries you after they throw a block on you. So. Uh, frustrated with that, and then uh, coming to pit road, we got hit, uh, which ultimately ruined our night. Um, uh, you know, went ahead and finished it off. 
our speed weeks were good. Our Kroger Camaro was was really fast. We got to lead laps, got to run up front. Um, you know, got stage points in all the stages, and uh, you know, ran up front like we wanted to. Just didn't get the result that we wanted. Let's also hit on the NASCAR Xfinity Series and Gander RV and Outdoors Truck Series races from Daytona. The NASCAR Racing Experience 300 was on Saturday, and no Gregson, man. All comes down to this. For all the marbles, and he got it done. This is what you work for, man. Not only was it his first Xfinity Series victory of his career, but it comes at Daytona. And this is after a year where he was not that confident, and Dale Jr. spoke about it too, basically saying, you know, Noah came to me and asked for some confidence boost and says, I, I don't really feel good about what I'm doing inside the race car. How, how can I get better? Well, it's hard to start off, I should say, any better than he did at Daytona. No Gregson's your winner. I started racing when I was 13 years old and um, raced Bandoleros for a year and then Legend Cars. And I've always looked up to guys that I'm racing out on the racetrack, um, these, these bigger name guys. And um, I'm, st I'm still a big fan of theirs. So to be able to race against them and uh, be able to race here at Daytona, I never would have dreamed about racing here. Um, it's a it's a privilege to be able to be here at Daytona, driving a fast Chevrolet, and and for Junior Motorsports, man, it's it's a privilege. And then to be able to win, I can't put it into words. What I'm feeling right now, I'm trying to soak it all in, and never would have thought this day would have come. But uh, very very thankful for everybody who's been there along the way, and wouldn't be here without them. You can kind of tell from that answer there that he is more mature, and I think that's that's pretty safe to say because you could you could really tell that Noah has had a maturity this offseason. I mean, when you listen to him speak in the past couple years, it's been kind of just rough and tumble, brash, bravado, joking around, and that's still kind of who he is. But this answer really illuminated that. But then, of course, there's still the Noah that we know and love. So I had to ask about what we talked about in Sonoma, which is when he's running for the win at the end of the races, he seems to kind of release his inner demons and puke right after the races. So I had to ask, did he end up doing it? Davey Siegel, front stretch. Last year at Sonoma, you said that when you're in a position to win, coming down to the stretch, you kind of tense up and you almost forget to breathe inside of the race car. And that's maybe one of the reasons why you release your inner demons after races, so to speak. Did that happen to happen this time or is that kind of out the window? No, I, I didn't throw up. Um, I just, I don't know why I throw up after the race. It's kind of weird, but I climbed the fence and my heart rate's through through the roof, and uh, yeah, I'm hot. I got my helmet on. I'm thirsty, and I don't know. Then you get down, and then you got all these ginormous crew guys, pit crew guys, just shaking you around and picking you up, and you feel like a rug rat out there. So it, uh, I don't know why I throw up, but it's probably a combination of all that stuff that I feel like I just ran a marathon and um, then stopped instantly and. Yeah, it just comes out, but it, it didn't today. I paced myself. I tried to, and um, it's fun. I, I don't mind throwing up because that means I win. So hopefully I can throw up some more this year, I guess, you know. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> and, of course, the truck series was in action on Friday night. Grant Enfinger made sure to get the win out of the way relatively early in 2020 and put her in victory lane. If you guys remember, he did not make it past the first round of the playoffs last year despite winning the regular season championship for Thor Sport Racing because he didn't have those playoff points to fall back on like the people that won races did. But he knocked that out of the way real, real quick. You know, it feels good. I think um, right now it's probably relief more than anything because we, we did come so close last year, and, and uh, we're a good enough team to, to win. We just 
honestly just didn't get the job done. And, and I feel like that, that hurt us a little bit going into the playoffs. Um, so now that, that we're able to, to do this early, I, I guess we don't have any excuses. No. So um, just uh, very, very thankful for, for a great Ford F-150 tonight. It's, uh, it's pretty special with the, the 100th win for, for Ford in the truck series, uh, the 25th anniversary for Duke and Rhonda Thorson. Um, special, special day for my wife here and I. Um, so just uh, all around, just uh, just a, a special race. Almost, uh, almost meant to be, I guess. It, it almost has to be at these speedways for him to work out. And uh, just, just thankful. And holy bejesus, what a run for Jordan Anderson. We were actually watching this race at New Smyrna on somebody's iPad, and we were screaming, "Is Jordan Anderson or Cordy?" Corey Rohrbar, Rohrbar, I don't even know how to say his name. Were they actually going to win? Um, and they almost did. I mean, if, if this race is at Talladega, you'd think that he might have won. So, Jordan Anderson, what a run for you, my man. And um, that was a great TV interview, too. He goes, I'm at a loss for words. And then he proceeded to speak for, like, over two minutes. But we loved every second of it. And, I mean, look, overall, it was a bit of a somber close to an incredible speed weeks from New Smyrna. Uh, to Daytona. I think I was at both tracks almost every single night for nine days straight. But hey, um, you know, overall, it was a really, really good speed week. So I'm upset that and it was unfortunate that the rain and, and the Newman incident had to kind of overshadow what was a great weekend, great vibe. Um, but you know what? The show must go on. And so will we. We'll wrap up the show relatively quickly for you guys here. Uh, race preview of Las Vegas Motor Speedway because I'm currently schwitzing hot as hell in my rental car, which is a Chevy Camaro, by the way. Pretty badass. Um, all three national series are in action. It's going to be a little chillier than usual out in the desert. Right now, I think it's like 50 degrees, but it's a dry cold, I guess you could say. Um, but, I mean, it's jacket and, and pants weather. It's not shorts and, and sweatshirt, rather, by any means. Uh, Noah Grayson coming home for his Xfinity Series home race on a high note. That must be pretty exciting for him. Three trucks are going to miss the field. There's 35 on the entry list right now, and 32 make the show. And, of course, the Cup Series. Ross Chastain is going to be filling in for the six of Ryan Newman. I don't have any inside intel, but I would not be surprised if Newman somehow, someway shows up to Vegas. Um, I think that might be a possibility. So I'm looking forward to it. We got three races in action. Friday night, Saturday night, Sunday night, and oh, by the way, you're probably going to be listening to this after this race happens, but the Arkham Menard Series West is in action for the Star Nursery 150 at the Las Vegas Motor Speedway Bullring, track that I've never been to because I raced on the dirt track the past couple years, but Bill McAnally Racing, um, they actually just pulled up next to me in the parking lot. They got five cars in the race. Zach Telford is here. Um, We got Austin Reed here. There's a bunch of different cars on the entry list, 17, I think, to be specific, and it should be a really good show, as well as the super late model race will also be held at the Bull Ring right after the ARCA race, and Kyle Busch is in the field, a.k.a. Kyle Busch is going to whoop some booty. So be sure to tune in on Track Pass on NBC Sports Gold, even though you probably already know what the results is as you're listening to this. A very, very quick and abbreviated look notes of the week! Cue the music. I literally have one lug nut. Rick Ware Racing and Garrett Smithley are partnering for an expanded cup schedule. And that's literally all I have. <laughs> Part of it was because there wasn't really that much news in the week um, besides the Newman coverage. And also, I didn't have ample time to adequately prep for the episode because 
my computer was being terrible and I was in the airport and then the Wi-Fi was being weird and then my recorder died and then we went out in Vegas. Now I'm sitting in a parking lot fitzing and I also have to use the facilities. Number one or number two, I'll let you figure it out, but let me just say that it's number three because it's both. That's too much information, but that's what I give you here on Victory Lane. And if you are still listening to this by now, one, sorry for that TMI, but two, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you from the bottom of my heart. Um, thank you for bearing with me. I hope the editing that I do in post makes this sound somewhat seamless and like I know what the hell I'm talking about because clearly I don't. Um, I did receive some exciting news this week. I unfortunately can't really share that with you guys quite yet, um, but really excited to share relatively soon uh, some news of, of what I'll be doing later in the year. Um, so it's really exciting and I'm, I'm happy. I, I told some of my friends, they were like, dude, hard work, finally paying off. Good things come to those who wait. Uh, and good people. So, hey, maybe maybe my luck's starting to turn around. Who knows? But that wraps things up for episode 42, the Juan Pablo Montoya edition of Victory Lane. Shout out to the Jet Dryer Daytona. But thank you guys so much for listening. As I say every week, it sounds trivial, but if you could please leave me a rating and a review and subscribe, that would really, really help me out. We're trying to grow this podcast. Um, it's not going to be DBC. It's not going to be the Dale Jr. Download. It's not going to be PRN or MRN quality. But I'm doing what I can with what I got. And I appreciate you being alongside with me for the journey. Because as they say, part of the journey is the end. Please rate, review, subscribe, iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, SoundCloud. Wherever we are, you can get us. And I'll talk to you guys next week as we recap Las Vegas and preview Auto Club. I think that's next, right? Yeah. Thank you for listening to Victory Lane. We'll see you on the other side, party people.